Well, I want to begin this morning a short series called Made New. And I want to talk to you about who it is that we are in Christ Jesus in salvation and what that means for us. You know, when you get something new, everybody responds differently, right? Like my dad, for instance, years ago, I remember we bought him this little, uh, it was even before the uh, like Dell Axums or the... Um, uh, whatever those other things were that held off your information. This was old school, man. And it, it had Bibles on it. This little electronic edition where you opened it up and you could put your notebook in one side and on the other side it had a little keyboard and had the Bible. One version only on it. And you could enter into things if you, know, if you wanted to take long enough to do that. And I remember giving that to him thinking, this is the new wave of technology. This is it. This is going to make you arrive as a pastor because now you've got the whole Bible in one little pocket version, you know. And so, man, he took that and he opened the box and he went immediately for the instruction manual and he sat down and he began to read. Are you kidding me? Hit the power button. Let's go, right? I mean, everybody approaches new things differently and None more illustrated than the way my dad and I approach things. Burn the instruction manuals. We're not going to crease the indent on them. I mean, turn it on and let's figure it out. That's kind of my approach to that. And so he took the instruction manual and I took the little gadget and we began to, and you could even keep all your names and addresses. Rolodex was on its way out at that time. We all approach new things differently. And today, as we look at this, and we begin to think about what it means to be made new as followers of Jesus Christ, I want us to understand that we'll all come at this from different angles. We'll all come at this arriving with uh, different understanding, different experiences, but we will all be at the same Savior Jesus Christ, and we will only be there in one way, and that is by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this, not an unfamiliar verse to most of you, but it says this, Paul writes, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of His Word today. Made new. What Paul does for us in this verse is grants to us a concise statement of salvation's meaning for all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. But it's much more than just an analogy to draw our understanding from. And that's the essence of what I want to strike at today. This made new, this new creation, friends, is God's provision of a new reality, of a new identity that He gives to us in Jesus Christ. And here's what I want to leave with you today is simply this, that Jesus makes people new to live 
as Christ followers. Jesus makes people new to live as Christ followers. I'm going to approach this sermon today in, with really two big parts. First of all, I'm going to break down 2 Corinthians 5.17 so we can get an understanding of what it is that he is saying to us that we are as a new creation. So I want us to look at what it means for him to say we are a new creation. And then I'm going to, after that, conclude the sermon with three reasons I believe every person, based on 2 Corinthians 5.17, should trust in Jesus to be made new. But what I'm striking at here is the heart of Christianity. And in striking at the heart of Christianity, I'm striking against every other false form of what might be called true belief or true anything else. Because this is the essence of what the Scriptures teach about what it is to be what we understand by the name Christian. Christian. Christ followers. Let's break down the verse to gain a better understanding. He begins with the word, therefore. And as you all know, anytime you see therefore, you stop to see what it's therefore. Good grief. I've never done that, I don't think. It actually works. You've heard this sermon before. I just have to preach it louder then. We need to know what it is that Paul is drawing from. If we look in the whole of the book of 2 Corinthians, this letter, that the second actually, that he's written to the church at Corinth, in chapter 3, Paul explains the work of Christians in the world. He says that we are ministers of a new covenant. He's talking about the new covenant that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, he talks about the gospel, that it is the light of God in Jesus Christ that shines into the world's darkness through our temporary afflicted bodies that we might demonstrate God's true power, not our own. And so that's what he's saying. So he has said this, that it's God's power, but God ordained that he would shine the light of his power through our temporary afflicted bodies. In other words, these things that are decaying away, but in a bigger sense, our imperfect lives as well. That he might shine the glory of God through us in what he has done so that people might see that it's not the greatness of us, but it is the greatness of Christ. In us. And then in the first part of chapter 5, Paul says that Christians are not ruled by the realities of this world because this world is not our eternal home. It's not our first residence, if you will. And so when we come to verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 5, this is what Paul has built on. He's built his argument upon the gospel, upon the work of God in salvation, and the purpose of Christians in this world. And that's what he says, beginning in verse 11 through verse 21, Paul defines four convictions for Christians based on this new reality. Let me just quickly lay them out to you. Verses 11 through 14, he says this, that Christians are compelled by love to persuade others to trust in Jesus. Because of the love of God, we are compelled to persuade others to trust in Jesus. Verse 16, he says, Therefore, again, Christians believe differently about all other people in the world because we believe differently about the one person who came from otherworldliness. 
In other words, everyone else in the world gets a new understanding because of the one who came from outside this world, from heaven himself, Jesus, and what he's done. Because we believe differently about Jesus, we believe differently about everyone else in the world. That's what he says in verse 16. And then in verse 17, we come to the verse that we're considering today. He says, therefore... And in this, therefore, he holds that Jesus makes people new, not better. No duct tape or paracord applied. Jesus makes people new. That's the third conviction. And the fourth conviction is this, that because of this new that Jesus has made us, our role in the world as Christians is as ambassadors for God and his work today. And so these are these four convictions that he lays out. He begins each one with the word, therefore, 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 therefore. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything for the one who has been made new by him. And that's the essence of what Paul is striking at here. What we're doing is we're focusing on that third therefore, that third conviction of the Christian life that defines what happens by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now he's referring not just to a person, but ultimately to the comprehensive person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, our understanding of who this man was that came from God above, from heaven, who left his home in heaven and came to become a man, flesh and blood, and walk upon the earth. And so we must know what it means to be in Christ, in the comprehensive understanding of this person and work that he gives. Several key terms will help us just to define what it means to be in Christ today. And the first one that I'm going to offer to you, and I'm going to offer all of these with Scripture on the screen so we can see it together because it's simply stated. I want to simply put it forth so that we can see that. First of all, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 28. Now then, I'm not going to put the entirety of these verses on the screen, but rather I'm going to show you the essence of these verses on the screen whereby we can identify the parts that I'm drawing from to gain these key terms to understand what it means to be in Christ. Here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 24 to 28. Christ has come to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He has appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, to save those who are eagerly waiting from him. Now I do this on purpose because I want you to see one thing that begins to comprehensively define Christ in his uh, cumulative total, in his person, his teachings, his life, and his work upon this earth. And it's simply to say this, that Jesus became our substitutionary atonement before God in order to put our sin away and to save us. 
substitutionary atonement. Now, I don't like to use big words unless I get into those moments where I'm really preaching and I get into a word I don't know how to get out of and I add two or three endings on of it so I create my own word and you're all going, oh, that's not even a word. These are real words. They're big words, but they're important words. Substitutionary atonement is the crux of the Christian faith, friends. Substitute, you put one in place of the other, right? Atone means to pay for. When Christ was put in our place, he died our death, he paid our death, he became our substitute so that he could atone before God for what we could not make up for. That's what substitutionary atonement did. And that's what Hebrews 9 tells us about Christ and what God did through him for us. God offered Jesus as a sacrifice of payment. The big word that scripture uses there that also is at the heart of our understanding is the word propitiation. In other words, God put Jesus forth as a propitiation, as a payment for our debt. That's what the word means. God put him forth to pay the debt of our sin. And so here's what happened when Jesus became our substitutionary atonement. He consumed God's wrath towards sin. That's what it tells us. Romans 1 tells us that the wrath of God is being revealed against all the unrighteousness, basically of sin, of all time, of all people, everywhere, both past, present, and future. But when Jesus died on the cross, the wrath of God that was poured out against unrighteousness was consumed as he hung up on that cross. That's why I told you last week, and I've told you many times, God does not have any wrath reserved for anyone who's in Christ Jesus because it's already been consumed. It's been spent upon him in the cross. That's why when Jesus died, it went from day to night. The curtain that separated the people from the Holy of Holies with the presence of God that was roughly 16 to 18 inches thick, uh, was ripped in two. I mean, the power team and phone books is nothing compared to what God did with the temple curtain on that day. And, 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 and every, all creation cried out in this moment because the wrath of God had been met in Jesus Christ on the cross. He consumed God's wrath towards sin. He showed God's righteousness. You go, man. God is one evil, vindictive being. Actually not. He's righteous. And because Christ died, he demonstrated God's righteousness. And he provided for us, listen, the foundation for God's mercy to be extended to us. If Jesus had never died on the cross, God would be unjust to show mercy to us. He would deny himself as God to save us. He would go, oh, we can excuse all of this. But he didn't do that. He showed his righteousness and he provided the foundation for mercy towards us. And in that moment, he demonstrates his love for us. All of a sudden, the separation between God and people was gone. It was no more. And God had come to us. And here's what he said. I love you. I love you. And all of this is to be received by faith. God brought salvation through Jesus as a substitutionary sacrifice to be received 
by faith. Friends, Jesus provides a complete salvation by faith. Substitutionary atonement is the crux of the Christian faith in what Jesus did for us to bring us to God. But in the substitutionary atonement, I want to tell you how, as it is applied in the Scriptures, what it means for us. So let me offer a few additional terms for you. The first one is this, that Jesus rescues us from sin's eternal condemnation. As our substitutionary atonement, He rescues us from sin's eternal condemnation. Colossians 1.13 says this, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and He's transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus is the ultimate eternal recon mission. He came in and he took his people. He rescued us by faith. Not only rescued, but as our substitutionary atonement, Jesus ransoms us from sin's death that we could not pay. Revelation 5, 9 says this, And by your blood, listen, listen, understand this, This is the worship experience of all worship experiences. The nations are gathered at the throne of God. And I don't mean figuratively at this moment. I mean literally at this moment. The nations are at the throne of God gathered and with one voice and in one tongue. This is what they cry. By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus ransoms us from sin's debt that we could not pay. As our substitutionary atonement, Jesus redeems our lives. He restores our value to glory, to glorify God. In other words, without Jesus, there is no way that we can bring glory to God. But because of Jesus, our value for glory is redeemed to us. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, our sins have been forgiven. Our glory value has been reassigned as God intended as he created us. Titus 2.14 says this, He gave himself for us, again speaking of Jesus, to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see that? When he restored the value of glory, he gave to us a zeal to do good works to demonstrate that glory. And what does the New Testament tell us? That by our good works, people might give praise and honor to who? God. They might see our good works and give praise to God. That's because Jesus redeemed us. And Jesus, because of his substitutionary atonement, reconciles us to the Father. We now are adopted as his children. We've become, listen, co-heirs with Christ. We don't get a corner in the mansion, friends. We become co-heirs with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18, the very next verse from where this sermon originates today says this, all this is from God. In other words, being made new, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. 
That's the purpose of Christ as our substitutionary atonement to reconcile us with the Father. And then Romans chapter 8 verses 15 and 17 tells us this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba there is the most intimate word for father and for relationship that we could know. We've been brought in to the most intimate of intimate relationships with the father through Jesus Christ. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's what happens by faith, friends. Jesus reconciles us with the Father, adopted as his children, and we become co-heirs with Christ. How beautiful that is. And then we learn from this chapter as well, just a few verses later, that Jesus as our substitutionary atonement, hear me, redefines the purpose of our life. To live in, but not of, the world. He redefines the purpose of our life. And here's what he says in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. Friends, the church, not the institution, but the organism, the people, or God's plan to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in the whole world. We are ambassadors. Our life has been redefined. The purpose that we are here, the reason God's left us in this world in salvation, is that we might be His ambassadors. Making known the good news of Jesus Christ to all people. You see, knowing what Jesus has done, we must understand how it is then that we receive Him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, we just found out what that means, right? That by faith, He's our substitutionary atonement. He rescues, He redeems, He reconciles, He ransoms, He he, uh, redefines our life. And so now we know what, it, what he's done and what it means to be in Christ. Let's understand how it is that we receive him. God provided uh, salvation as a free gift. We do not earn it. We do not achieve it. We receive it. Salvation can only be received by faith in Jesus' saving work for us. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, and again, I want you to understand what I mean by that. In the person, in the work that he's done, in the teachings that he gave, and in the salvation that he brings, okay? So when I say in Jesus, I mean the whole sum total of what he's done and who he is and the reason for which he came. When we place our faith in him, we enter into his death. Why? Because it was our death. And by his death, we receive his life. His death was for us. His life is in us. He brings us into, listen to Romans 3, 22 to 25. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who, what? Work? Who earn? No, who what? 
believe. Believe is the word that says we've put our faith by trust in Jesus. For all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Though the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Listen, friends. I'm not laboring and beating this verse and this idea of being saved by faith today for my own good will. But I'm beating it into us and hammering away at us for us to break down any divisive or competing idea or faction in our lives that would say yes, but to by faith. It's only by faith. And once we know what it means to be in Christ, now what does it mean to be made a new creation? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, what he's done by faith and faith alone, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold. Anytime the Bible says behold, stop whatever you're doing. And attune every intuition of your life to what is about to follow. And here's what he says. The new has come. The new has come. Made a new creation by faith in Jesus fulfills God's new covenant promise. You see, this wasn't something that God just threw in there as a secondary plan B. Let's try to figure this out. This is what God had been promising since long before. Listen to the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament as it explains what it means to be made a new creation. Ezekiel 36 verses 25 to 27 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Why is that? Because we've been made new. That's what God's promising. He says this, long before Jesus came onto the earth, God said this, I will make you new. Not a better you, a new you. Two essentials define this made new status. And he says they're what? I'll take your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And then what will he do with that heart of flesh? He will insert his spirit. So not your spirit, but his Holy Spirit. He puts within the new heart that he places in you. 
Luke characterizes this distinct characteristic of God's new covenant in Jesus in Acts chapter 4, verses 32, when he describes the new community of people. He says, now the full number of those who believed, why did he say believed? Because you only receive God's salvation in Jesus Christ to be made new by, by faith. And so he said the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. You hear that? He's defining by his description through the activity and the practices of the people of God, the work of God by the power of God through the salvation of God only in Jesus Christ. That's the way the New Testament describes it because that's what God had promised and that's the power that he brings. Paul demonstrates the reality of the new covenant in Jesus among the Christians in Corinth in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, verse 3, when he says this, and you show that you are, listen, a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but written with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Your life becomes a living demonstration of the power of God to make you new by a new heart filled with a new spirit. Friends, faith in Jesus means that we receive a new heart to show or excuse me, to know God and that His Spirit lives within us. Friends, it is not possible to know God or to obey God in our strength or our ability. But the good news is that we don't have to. We don't have to. Salvation is the transformation of our whole being. It's the making new of our identity in the very essence of who we are. God changes us from the center, from within, from the defining reality of our being. And Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, that now lives in our new heart, illumines us to God's ways. What was dark and what we could not see before, the Spirit has gone poof. And a light has come on to the way of God. He empowers us to obey. So when the Poof comes on and we go, whoa, I can't do that, God. It's okay. God's going to do it in me so that he can do it through me. And when you go, but I'm not sure how to do that, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God says, guides us every step of the way. And when we want to take a step this way, you go, I'll do my best, God. And God says, listen, don't worry about doing your best. Just follow me and I'll guide you every step of the way. One step at a time. You see, Christians are made new to live in Jesus' power by the Holy Spirit's presence that is within us. His Holy Spirit. And one final understanding of made new is essential. When the new comes, what does it say? The old passes away. It's gone. As quickly as the new comes, instantaneously, in such a speed and such a reality that is beyond our comprehension, hear me, because we are so quick to believe the new comes. We are so hesitant to embrace that the old is gone. It's gone. 
And if it's gone, it's not there anymore. It's gone, friends. The old is gone. Here's what he means by old. It's that which has been replaced. It's the old heart. It's the old controlling spirit and a controlling spirit. It's gone out of existence. That heart is the, it's the center. Here's what the Bible means by the word heart. It is the center of our reality. It is the center of our thinking. So it includes our mind. It is the center of our wanting or our will where we exert ourselves to go, I'm going to do this, and we exert the volition of our life. And it is the center of our affections, not just our emotions. It includes our emotions, but more deeply those things that we really long and gut-wrenchingly desire within. And so the heart is all of those things. Well, before Jesus, we had a heart, right? It was a heart of stone, and it was controlled by little s spirit. But that is gone now. And the new has come with a new heart and a new spirit. And what is that spirit controlling? The spirit of God is controlling our minds, Romans 12, 2. Be conformed no longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. I'm telling you, the spirit of God changes your thinking. It transforms your life by changing, reversing what sin has done in darkening your mind. It transforms our will. We don't want for what we want anymore. We want what God has for us. And we must know what that is that we might want it. And when we love, we no longer love the things that we love. But now that's gone and the new has come. We love the things that God says are lovely and loving and love worthy. That's the new that has come. It means something completely different has come into existence. There is a new Lord over this kingdom. But friends, made new is only true when by faith you enter into Jesus' death for you and you take on his life in you. The question that I must pose to you today is this. Have you been made new? Have you been made new? Please do not respond tritely and go, yes, I'm a Christian. Based on all the understanding, the practices, or the people that you've seen in your life, yes, I I would say, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I didn't ask you that. I ask you if you've been made new. I ask you if the old has gone and the new has come. I ask you not if you have, in your own understanding, done enough to believe that God will love you or is happy with you. I ask you if by faith you have entered into Jesus' life so by that same faith you can receive his power in you, excuse me, entered into his death so you can receive that life in you if the old has gone. The old thinking, the old patterns of thinking, the old controlling spirit, the old attitudes that demonstrate that spirit and that willfulness of a hard heart and the old affections to love the things that you know are unrighteous, that you know that are not godly, that you know are destroying and damning you in your heart and bringing condemnation and shame and guilt. Is it gone? That's what I'm asking you. So that the new 
can reign in Christ supreme. Might I present to you in the closing moments of this sermon three reasons why every person should receive Jesus by faith to be made new. The first reason that I present to you to receive Jesus by faith is this. I've been teaching up until this time. Now I'm about to start preaching. Believe in Jesus because only Jesus makes you new. Boy, every ounce of me wants to scream this from the rooftops. (laughs) But rather, I'm going to plead with you today not to let some label Not to let some understanding that maybe you've heard from people that said something other than faith in the work of Jesus. Only Jesus makes you new. Religion, philosophy, and every other human effort may make you better. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. (laughs) But only Jesus makes you new, friends. Only Jesus makes you new. Religion will teach you a lot about God. Philosophy will help you think more deeply, or not, about things that are similar to God. Sometimes people I've heard use philosophy to actually avert thinking deeply about things. But hear me, when religion and philosophy and every other effort is finished, here's what you will find. You still need to be made new to know God. That word for new in Verse 17 of chapter 5, it's used 42 times in the New Testament. 39 of those times, it's defined as original, a kind not seen before. But listen, three uses, three times it's defined as fresh, fresh. So same basic meaning, but it has a different twist to it. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, they all three use this word in the same recording of Jesus' teaching. And here's what it says to accumulate to, to culminate those teachings. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, it says, But new wine is put into new wineskins. And so both are preserved. New wine is poured into new wineskin, fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. You see, new wine demands new wineskins because the process of fermentation causes the liquid and all that's taken place in there, and that's the deepest explanation I can give you of all of that, but it causes it to expand, kind of like you after a good meal, you know? I mean, things are happening in there. And the problem is new wineskins are flexible and they can expand as the new wine ferments and ages and becomes aged wine, which is what everybody wants, the good old stuff. But friends, old wineskins, they grow hard, they grow dry, and they grow brittle, brittle, excuse me, and they don't allow for any expansion. They said, this is what it is, this is what you get, that's all, right? And what happens is that new wine says, yeah, I don't think so. And poof, and they both get ruined. That's what happens. You see, only new wineskin can handle new wine that can age and become aged wine. That's what Jesus teaches here. 
Uh, an imagery that would have been very familiar to them in that day. And so pouring new wine into old wineskins, they knew this in their own flesh and understanding. That was stupid. But listen to me, every time, and here's what Jesus is saying, every time you try to obey and to satisfy the law's whole demand in your own strength, you're pouring new wine into old wineskin. Every time you try by your effort to appease or appeal or satisfy God, you're pouring new wine into old wineskins. And it will never work. Like trying to obey Jesus just out of the sheer force of your will, that's the old that ought to be gone like trying to obey Jesus out of a high intellect and rationale. Man, Jesus, I was wrong about that, but let me just walk through the steps and rationalize why that you forgive and, and you just walk through all the intellect, but it doesn't make any difference in the heart. That's the old mind, friends. And ultimately, it always brings us back to rationalize the sin. Or even this, man, Jesus, I've had a horrible week, but if you'll just make me feel better today, I'll walk away different. You might walk away different, but it will not last because it's old. It's not new. Volitional fortitude, intellectual exercise, and emotional stamina will never withstand the weight of biblical commands without the living presence of the Holy Spirit bringing you back to the gospel to comfort you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, and to fill you with joy. Friends, the highest intellect, the hottest passion, and the most extreme discipline of will will never produce salvation without Jesus. Not without Jesus. We only get God when we're made new by Jesus. Religion may make us noticeably better and a more moral you. And listen, I'm not against better morals. I give a long list of people that I see often on social media that it would do them some good. And you're the same. You know what I'm saying. Philosophy may make a smarter, more thoroughly defended you. Emotion may stoke a more in-touch you and all of these healths are good but all are insufficient to satisfy the soul's eternal longing God's Holy Spirit only inhabits people who've been made new by faith in Jesus friends I'm asking you today to believe in Jesus because only Jesus makes you new the second reason is this I want you to believe in Jesus today and I plead with you because made new is the only thing that counts. Listen to me, the easiest job in heaven is being an accountant. I'm not belittling accountants in the room today, thankful for them in my life, but I want you to know, accountant is the easiest job in heaven because there's only one number that you need, and that's the number one. There's only one thing that counts in heaven, and that's being made new by Jesus, right? It's the second reason to believe in Jesus. Strike so close to the first. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Basically what Paul is saying there is religion doesn't count and neither does philosophizing to rationalize your way out of it. But a new creation. There is no substitute for being made new. When we by faith are crucified with Jesus on his cross, hear me, a first love for anything else in this world other than Jesus dies in us. Verse 14, before this verse in 15, through Jesus, Paul says, I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. 
a love for worldliness is dead. It's gone. That's what it means to be made new. Jesus is our only hope. And in Him alone rests all our love and all of our trust. Friends, outward conformity may suffice for a time. And I have a high suspicion that there are many sitting not only in this room today, but in many rooms across our region and across the world that believe because of what they've produced in their own strength, thinking, or ability that God will be okay with them and that will suffice. But I tell you, even though it may suffice for a time, only inward transformation will last for eternity. Jesus makes new every person that trusts in Him. And everyone that Jesus makes new always counts. Told you, easiest job in heaven. Believe in Jesus because being made new is the only thing that counts. The third reason is believe in Jesus because only Jesus is new is the real new self to put on. Listen to these words in Colossians 3.10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, the new reality, the new identity that Jesus puts within us must be put on daily by us. Must be put on daily by us. Believe in Jesus because only Jesus is new is the real new self to put When Christ rules our hearts, when our heart is new, it's inhabited by His Spirit. His truth becomes most glorious and most hopeful to us by faith. It doesn't mean that we'll know or understand everything about what God wants to do. It doesn't mean that all of our doubts and questions will go away. It does mean that we will hold to Him by faith through His Word because we know He's holding us. Christians who live and walk daily with Jesus, they don't believe that their new life is because of them. But by faith, our eyes, our hearts, and our minds are set on Jesus. Our life becomes calibrated every day. In other words, we know that if we walk by our own direction, we will walk away from Jesus because our heart is so prone to wonder after every lust of the world. But if we will calibrate ourselves to Him through His Word, His new will come to life. And we will, as Paul says, listen, in the Colossians there, he's already told them, put to death, put away, put off the sins of this world and of your life so that you can put on the new that God has made you. Obedience, friends, hear me, obedience precedes understanding when one lives by faith in Jesus So that through our ignorance, so that through our weakness, and so that through our phobias, the power of God can be displayed through us. Why? Because we've been made new. When Christ is the source of your life, the Holy Spirit becomes your daily supply of His strength. And that's how we put on Jesus every day. And so I plead with you today, believe in Jesus Because only Jesus is a new self to put on. Let's pray. Friends, as the worship team returns, we've got just a moment here. And here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you to return to that question. And ask God.
Have I been made new? Are you living by faith in Jesus? Or are you trying to substitute it with your own thinking, your own feeling, your own working? What are you trusting for salvation? If in this moment, you know, maybe you just come to the realization, I've been in church a long time, I've watched a lot of Christians, I know how to do this on my own, but today for the first time, I've come to the realization that I've never been made new. I've never repented of my sins and turned to receive what God has for me in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to come. There's an elder here at the front. We would love to pray with you. We would love to encourage you. Friends, Jesus is the only new that can remake you. Trust in Him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. And Lord, as the Spirit that you've sent today works in us, help us to listen, to hope, to trust, and to obey. In Jesus' name. Amen.